Well, praise the Lord. I always love uh, these times that we have fellowship together, but I always find it, again, one of the most challenging times to preach again during this time uh, of the afternoon. I know, again, we're a little bit tired. We've had our bellies full. We've had good, excellent, again, uh, fellowship with one another, but I don't think it's going to be that tough this afternoon, and the reason why is because of this text. You know, I, I think of all the, all the Word of God, this has got to be one of the most comforting texts in all of the Word of God. You know, and this really is a farewell discourse, again, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to look at it because, you know, we all realize this. We all realize that we're born under trouble. We realize that there's various different anxieties, there's various different troubles, there's various different worries and concerns that each one of us have. In fact, again, everyone has them in the world. And I think a lot of times when people look at Christianity... They look at Christianity as basically a crutch, you know, something that's not true, something that's false, something that's wishful thinking. And I think, again, a lot of times they think that all Christians do is hope in God, and God takes all of their difficulties, all of their struggles, all of their anxieties to happen to away. And they might, again, look at the way we quote maybe Romans 8.28, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And there it is. If you trust God, everything will work out for good, and you will not have any more anxieties, you will not have any more troubles. And, of course, if you live in this fallen world, you realize that that's not true. In fact, it's not true in our passage of Scripture because Jesus has been talking about some of the troubles, some of the trials that will come upon himself and also the disciples in this passage of Scripture. So we're invited, again, not to deny reality, but actually accept all of the difficulties and all of the trials that happen to be in our life. And it's not wrong to grieve. It's not wrong, again, to be um, uh, concerned or even, again, um, uh, worry about some of the things that, that go on. The problem is so often, again, we let these worries, we let these anxieties take control again of our life. We realize that Jesus even had a troubling spirit. If we look back at chapter number 13 and verse number 21, it says, after these sayings, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And Jesus here is troubled in his, in the deepest recesses of his soul. And, And that's good news in a way, because it tells us, you know, the concerns we have the grieving the, that, 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 that we have, even about the things that are coming, even about the things that we're going through, through doesn't mean what the, that we're sinning, that we're not trusting God. You know, and we realize these things, and even the disciples ha- have to realize this because they're going through troubling waters. I mean, they have just announced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is going away from them. And they know through all the teaching of uh, Jesus up until this time that he's talking about his death. And you can imagine how troubling that was. But to add unto that, they realize that one of the 12 that has been with them for the last three years, they're not going to have the comfort when this happens. In fact, there is going to be one in their midst that's going to betray them and again abandon the disciples. And not only that, their self-appointed leader of the 12, who happens to be again Peter, will deny Jesus Christ that very night. And to say that these are dark and troubling times, again, I think would be an uh, an understatement. But we also recognize that in each one of our lives that we live in dark and troubling times. I mean, it's incredible how our anxieties build up, isn't it? 
you know, there's one after another after another, and it could be again in our marriage. It could be again in our family with our children. It could be again at work. It could be health. It could be spiritual. You know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of anxieties that just seem to build up one after another after another. We realize that people sin against us. We realize that we sin against them. And we bring more anxieties, more troubles, more again of those things that happen to be in our life. And it says, one of Job's uh, friends said in Job chapter 5 in verse number 7, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We realize again all of these trials that happen to be in our life. So as believers, we don't bury our head in the sand to pretend that these things Things don't exist because they do exist. They're part and parcel of living in this fallen world. But when we don't have our heads in the sand, when we have them again above looking at, looking at life that happens to be around them, we also bring God in the picture, right? And we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, the great anxiety killer, right? The one who busts it up in the deepest recesses of our heart, so much so that it doesn't control us, is God. You know, what we know about God, what God again has promised. And it's amazing because he's giving them these very heavy truths, necessary truths about what will take place. And then we start chapter number 14, verse number 1, and he says this to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. And the idea again of trouble here in their hearts is that they won't be overwhelmed by what he has just said, what he has just described. You know, as far as these things. And what he's telling them to do when he tells them, let not your hearts be uh, troubled, it's a command, isn't it? So I want you to intentionally, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about a certain way about this, you're thinking about your difficulties, your problems, your struggles, your anxieties, and I want you to intentionally take that focus and put it over here. You know, and think of it. Think how often your anxieties, your trials, your troubles, the things that you're going through, the conflicts that you go through in life, and think how many times you replay them in your mind and replay them in your mind and replay them in your mind without any thought of God. Because what to call here, and I want us to understand what to call here. The call is not just to have nice thoughts about God and just ignore the things that happen to begin around us, but to bring God in the picture. You know, and I wonder how many times, here it is, let not your hearts be troubled. I wonder how many times we focus, we, we intentionally focus on who God is, you know, who he is to us, how he relates to us, or even his promises. You know, the promises as far as, again, to the destination that we happen to be in. Well, I want us to start going through this fascinating, I think such an encouraging chapter, and I hope it will be that way to you. I hope as you learn these truths, it will certainly help you in these troubling times not to have your heart overwhelmed by anxiety, overwhelmed by the fear, but recognize who God is and recognize again how we fight anxiety. You know, and the first way that we fight anxiety is basically this, and this is no big deep secret, you know, I, I, lo- I love when we were going through that, uh, th- that uh, course, uh, and, and the same course that's coming up in the new year, How People Change. You don't hear anything, again, absolutely, wow, I've never heard that about Christianity before. But it's applying these truths. You know, and one of the greatest anxiety busters is basically this, that we need to trust in Jesus Christ. You know, because you can see this. Again, look at, the, look at how he, say, he says it. Let not your hearts be troubled. And then he comes and he says this. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, and this is why we come out to church, isn't it? 
We come out to church. Why? Because we want to hear from God. We want to hear his word. We want to hear what, who he is, what he has done, and what he's promised in, in our life. And we hope, you know, as we come out to church, as we fellowship, as we sing these great anthems of the faith, and we hear the word of God preached, that that will carry over to Monday, right? And the rest of the week, as we seek to live in this fallen world with all of these anxieties, with all of these stresses, with all of these trials that happen to begin in our life. Our problem is we get so used to Sunday that many times when Monday comes, we forget about God. Isn't it true? You know, you go and you try and correct your kids and you realize again, here's one of them and they've either disobeyed you or they're fighting with another sibling and you lose it with them. You know, you start yelling and you have a good intention. You really want to correct their behavior, but you realize you're sinning against them. You know, or all of a sudden you have this marital tiff, you know, with your spouse, you know, and, and, and you realize it's never resolved. But, it, but all, all, all it does is you forget about it and you go into the next tiff and you go into the next tiff and you're never resolving in a biblical way through, through repentance, through confession, uh, through restoration in that marriage relationship. Or maybe you're, you're just suffering from all of the stresses, from all the trials that happen to begin in your life, and you can feel that anxiety, you can feel that depression, and it seems like a wave that's overwhelming you. And so you go on social media or you go on the net and you surf and it goes hours and hours and hours, and after you come, you feel worse than you felt when you began. And let me ask you, what's missing in all of that? And what's missing in all of that is here, God. I think a lot of times we live godless lives. And when I mean that, I'm not talking about rank immorality, but we live a life without God. I mean, do we ever remind ourselves of who Jesus Christ is? Do we ever remind that we live in the presence of this great God? Do we ever again truly trust in him and consciously say, no, 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 I'm thinking wrongly. I'm thinking wrongly about my kids. I'm thinking wrongly about my spouse. I'm thinking wrongly about this situation. I'm not seeking to glorify God. I'm not trusting in him during that time, but I'm going to consciously turn my mind and trust in him. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, how do we not let our hearts be overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with anxiety? You know, and that's what it means. You know, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't lose heart. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your confidence in Christ. And then he says, again, this, because he's telling us how to do that. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he says this, believe in God and believe also in me. Now, let me give you a little lesson in language. You know, because this can be interpreted in a number of different ways. And the problem, again, in the Greek is basically this, and I'm going to explain it, so I hope you get it. Uh, The indicative and also the imperative are absolutely the same. So when you look at an indicative, what's an indicative? And it's just a statement of truth, right? The sky is blue, right? Right? That's a statement, again, of truth. That's I'm indicating something. When you talk about an imperative, an imperative is a command. You need to get up and go to the stores. Or you need to get up and put, put away your shoes. That's an imperative. That's a command, right? Well, the indicative and the imperative are the same. same the, 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 they're the uh, same in, in uh, John chapter 14 and verse number 1 here. So it can be read in a number of different ways. It could be read as a statement of fact. Here it is. You are believing in God and you are believing in me. Or it could be said as a a statement of a command, right? 
an imperative. You need to believe in God. You need to believe in me. Or, here's a third option, it can be a combination of both. In other words, an indicative and an imperative. And that's what I think it is right here. It's both an indicative, this is a statement of fact, and also an imperative. It's a command. And the reason why I say that is because this is what the disciples are doing. The disciples are trusting God the Father. That's why they're following Jesus, right? God said that the Messiah would come. We've opened up the scriptures. We've seen again who he is. And now we're following Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is saying, as you believe in this great God, this is what I want you to do. With all these tough, with all these fantastic truths that I have just given, I want you to trust in me. I want you to believe in me. Now think about it. Because, because I want us to see two reasons why they need to believe in Jesus. You know, and we need to think about these things. But here's God in human flesh that happens to be before them. And that's who he is. He is God in human flesh. Right? He's the all-authoritative one. In fact, he's going to teach that in this passage of Scripture. Because Philip is going to say, look, these are hard truths. You know, and we're trying to really think of this. We're trying to really get, 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 get them. We're trying to believe in them. Just show us the Father, right? And Jesus is going to say this. If you've seen the Father, you've, you've seen God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And why? Because we're both one. You know, it speaks of the uniqueness of the Trinity, three individual persons and one being of God. And so Jesus is the all-authoritative one, the great creator, God. And because of that, think of who Jesus is. Jesus is the God who cannot lie. Jesus is the God who is all good, all loving, who's always up to his glory and the good, again, of all those who have and again follow him. And why, why, why do they need to know that? And the reason why they need to know that is because of the truths right at the end of chapter number 13. I mean, they're horrendous truths in a way, aren't they? They're fearful truths when you really hear them and you really think about them. And think about it, because here Jesus is going all the way to Jerusalem. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his burial. He's talking about his resurrection. And here the disciples are even fearful. But when they get to Jerusalem, they have this thing called the triumphal entry. And here the crowds are lauding him as the greater son of David. And they've forgotten about that. Maybe Jesus has forgotten about that. But in chapter number 13, here they're having to pass over a, a, a meal. And all of a sudden, he starts with this again. I have to depart from you. And guess what? One of you is going to betray me. And guess what, Peter? Even though you're boasting that you'd be willing to die for me this very night, you will deny me three times. Well, how does this work out for God's glory? How does this work out in the plan of God? Let not your hearts be troubled. That's what you have to do. You have to realize who I am. And you have to trust in me. Now, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's very easy for us because we're looking back, aren't we? And it's so easy when you look it back, right? We see, we see how it all worked out for good. We see, again, Jesus arrested. He's taken. You know, he's, he's mocked. He's scorned. He's crucified. But three days later, he rises, and we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, when he, or when he uttered those words on the cross, it is finished. Everything that was needed to be done to purchase our salvation has been done, and he conquered the last enemy, which happened to be death. And we can see the end. But can you, can you imagine all of your life being taught a certain thing about Messiah, who he is, and all of a sudden, Messiah comes. And he revolutionizes all the teaching that happened at the beginning of the Old Testament about who Messiah happened to be. 
You know, and these are very difficult truths. Very difficult truths. And I think, again, it's very easy for all of us, you know, having to be believers in the Lord Jesus, because we look at the disciples, and they're so dim-witted, we think, many times, and we shake our heads. But how often in our trials, in our anxieties, in our stresses, in our consternation where we feel overwhelmed in life, do we question God? Do we question his wisdom? Do we question his goodness in this particular situation that we happen to go through? You see, we're like the disciples. Here's felt, just show us the Father. And what do we want to do? We want to walk by sight. And what's the, what's the call? Believe in me. Believe in me. Walk by faith. It'll become clearer as time goes on. But walk by faith. Walk by faith in me. You know, it's amazing, again, when you look at this passage to see, again, how it goes on, again, that that happened to me again right here. You know, and we can be crushed, but this is the great anxiety buster, to believe on this great Christ, again, and what he has done for us, that we're not stuck. You know, God has these things. We don't have to be overwhelmed with worries that happen to be in our life, but we can put our trust in the sovereign God. Now, that's point number one, right? We need to trust in God. If we're going to overcome anxieties that happen to begin in our life, we need to trust in this one. We need to realize who Jesus Christ is. But there's a second way. And the second way that we overcome anxiety is recognizing that all of life has a destination. Isn't it true? You know, think of all of your life Think of your life even today. You know, did you wake up with a destination mentality? That my life is headed to a certain destination. Did you think about that? Because remember, he's, yeah, I've taught you these tough truths, but I want you to see some of the realities, some of the promises, some of the way you overcome, again, all of these anxieties. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says this, and listen to it. In my Father's house are many rooms, right? If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now think about it, because one of the most popular metaphors of the Christian life is a walk, isn't it? And in a walk, we're going somewhere, aren't we? And we realize it's a popular um, metaphor as far as our Christian growth, right? We're walking, we're progressing in Jesus Christ, but walk also speaks that we're going to a particular place, right? And, we're wa- and as we woke up this morning, again from yesterday, we are one day closer to that destination. And let me say, say it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Heaven is a real place, right? Heaven is a real destination. And the reason why I say that is I think in the here and now, we've forgotten about heaven. Isn't that something? We've forgotten about the destination. And I think a lot of times, even when we look about heaven, believers used to love to get together and talk about their glorious home. They're going to their father's house. They're going to this place to be forever with one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we've lost that sense again of heaven as far as our final destination. You know, we many times look and look at it as a consolation prize. You know, maybe for someone who's infirmed, Maybe for somebody, again, who's sick. Maybe for someone who's come to the end of their life. You know, and you have this consolation prize. You know, oh, well, you know, at least you will go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. As if, again, that's the consolation prize. And the good things of life happen to be the things that are in the here and now. 
It's amazing to come to the New Testament, isn't it? Because it has such a different perspective in it. You, you know, remember Paul? You know, he's in house arrest in Rome, and he doesn't know how it's going to go. You know, he's going to be appear before the emperor again himself, and, his, and the emperor has his life or his death in his hands. He doesn't know how it's going to go. And he's going to present Jesus Christ to him, and he doesn't know how it's going to go. And he starts thinking about it. And he says he's hard-pressed in between these two decisions. He realizes a fruitful service to be with you, but he also realizes to be with Christ. And listen to again what Philippians 1.23 says, because this is where his desire happens to be. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Otherwise, to stay or to go. But here's his desire. My desire is to depart. Why? And to be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe if all of a sudden everything in your life that you truly treasured the most out of his life, it's easy to say, oh, I can hardly wait to get to heaven because I, I want to escape all the difficult things and the things of life. But how about the good things? If all of a sudden all the good things were taken away from you right now, would it be great gain in your life? Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your occupation. Maybe it's the things that you really enjoy in life. And all of those things were taken away like that. Would it be gain? Paul says, oh, I love this life. For me to live as the Lord Jesus Christ. I love to minister to you. I love each one of you. But to be with Christ, that is far better. You know, is that true in our lives? Have we filled our minds? Have we filled our hearts with the glory of that coming heaven? Because this is what he's trying to do. He's saying, you, you know, I know you're overcome with fear, but don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says this. This is how. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, we'll come back to this verse next week. And I only want us to look at a, a modicum again of this verse. Only a phrase that I have in the beginning of this verse. And next time we're in the Gospel of John, we'll look at it, uh, that verse a little more. But I really want us to, to glean and squeeze some truth of it that will help us during uh, our anxieties, during the pressures, during our conflicts, during this heaviness that happens to begin in our life. And the thing that I want us to dwell on is that opening expression that happens to be again there. It says, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, if you are about my age, or even if you happen to be again a little younger, you sang a song in church. And everybody used to sing it from, their, from, their, uh, from the depths of their lungs. I mean, they used to sing it loud. And, it, and it's basically this. I've got a mansion. Just to, don't, let me, don't let me say this. I have a shower voice. I don't have a, a good voice up here. But, but I, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright city. Right? They'll never grow old and someday yonder. Anyways, I'll quit. Because because the whole point that happens to be in there is I've got a mansion. And where is it? It's just over the hilltop. You know, and I think a lot of times what we pictured, you know, is this mansion that happened to be on a hilltop overlooking the lake. And all of our anxieties and all of our troubles are gone. And let me tell you, heaven is greater than that. It is greater than that. Because guess what? 
not only will I not be by myself, I'd be with other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be truly human is not to have all these conflicts that happen to be in our life, but to have this fellowship, this warm-hearted, delightful fellowship with other believers. Not only will that be true, but I will be with my Lord and Savior forevermore. You know, and that's the idea that happened to be there. That's taken from the old KJV Bible. And right here, again, in the um, uh, ESV, again, they have it right. It are many rooms. Because the reason why they put mansions in there is because a wealthy landowner used to have a mansion. He used to have a big home. But if somebody was going to come and stay with him, live with him, or even have an extended stay with him, what they would do is build... Here it is, a room on the mansion. You know, that they would be there. And here's the promise that happens to be, 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 uh, be here. In my house, in my father's house, are many rooms. And you know what it's saying? It's saying this, there's room for me. There's room for you and where? In my father's house. And think of how spacious it is. It is amazing because when you look at the book of Revelation, right? In Revelation chapter 21, there's actually a cubed city. Think about this. Cubed city that's coming down from from heaven and it's beyond our fascination. It's beyond our imagination, our grasp to truly see the significance and the glory and the beauty of this city. But it does give some some description. Beginning at verse number 10, it says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And listen to what John saw. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was, a, was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a, high, a great and high wall with 12 gates, and the gates 12 angels, and the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east gate, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of that city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now think about this, because what this is describing is our home. It's describing our dwelling place, right? It's not, again, and this is something that we have to remember because I think a lot of times we think of heaven as a state of being, right? A state of mind, something urethral, something that is just spiritual, something that's non-entity. And let me tell you, you, we do ourselves a disfavor. Let me say this. Angels have corporal bodies, Right? Right? And we realize that when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he ascended with a corporal body. Right? And think about it. If the idea of this is heaven is just a spiritual, it's just a state again of being, a state again of mind, then why would we ever be resurrected? Why would we ever be given corporal bodies again? You know, what is heaven? Heaven is a real place. And this is what it's talking about. It's talking about my Father's house. Right? And think of it, because it's through the new birth, it's this. It's our Father's house. And why is that description so important? Because believers used to always talk about heaven like this. It was a metaphor. It was a metaphor. Our Father's house. Right? The metaphor for heaven was our Father's house. And why would they use that kind of language? Because you realize, beyond a shadow of a doubt, or you should realize that where your Father lives... That's your home. 
right? And I know some of you come from broken homes. And when you hear that, my father's house, or you hear father's house, you start thinking about your home and how it was not what it was supposed to be. But the recognition that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is not the way it's supposed to be, then you know what it's supposed to be. And everything that home is meant to be is found in our Father's home. You know, and that's our dwelling place, right? And this is what Jesus has said. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is not all that there is. I am going away to prepare a place. Guess why? Guess why? And I wouldn't have told you this, but I am going to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't have told you this if it wasn't true. So that where I am, you may be also. And think how that breaks through the anxiety. Because I think a lot of fear that we have is things are just going to always go continue on, continue on, and continue on. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. Let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, this, this life of ours is just a modicum. It's just a small piece of my existence. Do you believe that? With all my anxieties, with all my stresses, with all the troubles, with all the tribulations I have go through, with all the troubles that keep me up at night, here it is. It's just, it's just a little atom. It's just a little modicum of my time. Right? It's like a moment, a twinkling of an eye. It's like, again, that, that breath on a cold day that comes out and it quickly dissipates and it's gone. You know, that's all my life is. That's all my troubles are. I mean, our troubles seem to want to define us, and that doesn't define us. What Jesus Christ did on the cross and what he promised for those who believe defines us. And that changes everything. You know, I love what uh, Paul David Tripp writes in his book forever. He says, if you are ever going to properly evaluate your life and properly perceive the suffering you have endured, you must factor in eternity. When you are on the other side in a place, uh, I'm sorry, in a place when time is no more and your life will never end, the things that now crush you will seem, this is what they'll seem, brief and incidental, Right? The worst life will seem again so brief, so incidental. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that this truth makes suffering any less painful in the here and now. It is painful. I am suggesting that you can only properly value the significance of your trials when you place them up against forever. Forever tells us that our suffering in the here and now will only be a minute part of our total existence. Since we live forever, when we add our years in the broken world to the sum total of our existence, they will only make up a microscopic fraction of our lives. We will spend vastly more time in a place where suffering is no more than we have spent where suffering still lives. Isn't that amazing truth? It happens to be in our our problem in our lives is we so often forget our destination. We so often forget, you know, our life. You know, my life here, it seems so long. It seems so trying. But it's like a grain of sand on a a sandy seashore of eternity. That's all it is. That's what God has called me to go through. But this is going to be my existence right here in my Father's house. 
And you can understand, again, the glory and even the triumph of the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 to 57. It says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Right? These terrible things that come in our life. The sting of death is what? Sin. But sin has been dealt with. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want clarity? You want strength through your trials? You want some, again, some emboldness to walk in this week when you go through things? This is what Jesus Christ is doing. doesn't mean I have everything figured out. doesn't mean I know how everything works out for good. But here's what, here's what Jesus Christ says. Believe on me. Walk that life of faith. And here is what he says secondly. Keep your eyes on the destination. Right? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And you know what all the people of God said enthusiastically? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Praise God for his goodness. Let's bow our hearts. Father, I can feel my heart race within me even as we go over these truths. And Lord, even in my anxieties, even in my worries, even when in my fretting, I find encouragement, strength, Lord, to fight these things, to realize, Lord, how short-lived and how transitory they are compared to all of eternity. And God, it gives me a strength. It gives me a boldness to continue on. It gives me, again, direction in my life, Lord, to seek, to glorify you and magnify you no matter what the cost. And God, I just pray as we think of these truths, as we think of Jesus Christ and him crucified, yea, risen from the grave, he's proven, Lord, his faithfulness. He's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's worthy to be trusted in our lives. And God, as we look at the things that we go through, things that we never thought we would ever go through in our life, Lord, and we wonder and ponder the significance and why we have to go through what we are going through, Lord, here's the challenge. Believe on me. Believe on Jesus Christ, the great God-man, the great lover of our souls who makes no mistakes. And God, we know not only looking at, the, uh, at his death, burial, and resurrection, but also looking forward at eternity. We realize all of our lives are marching to this wonderful destination, and that destination is our Father's home. Lord, we thank you that this is home. This is where we belong. This is where security, ultimate security, and joy happens to be. Just be with us. Lord, help us to live in this fallen world. Help us not to be overcome, Lord, with the worries and stresses. Help us not to lose heart and lose that focus on who you are and what you have promised. We thank you so much. Just be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.